Before we start the show, we just want to apologize beforehand because of a slow connection during our recording. However, it's not so often you get to talk to Rick Barry, the Basketball Hall of Famer, known for his very effective underhand free throws. Even Red Auerbach has something to say about it. All right, now that, as we all know, is a very, very unique style. This is the way free throws were shot 40 years ago. Keep in mind, this was recorded in the 1970s. That was the only way it was shot. And here's a guy, one of the great, great players of the game, the greatest free throw shooter in the game, shooting as they did 40 years ago. So we savaged what we could and decided to move forward this episode. Enjoy. I'm Justin Keonan. I'm Ray LeBeau. And welcome to the Basketball Intelligence Podcast. Bro, what are you talking about, man? They made up a term called analytics. Take that for data. Yeah, I wasn't kidding when I meant a slow connection. Oh, here we are. Hey, Ray, can you tell us more about Rick Barry? Rick Barry is one of the greatest players to ever play the game of basketball. He's, of course, a Hall of Famer, the only player to lead the ABA, the NBA, and the NCAA in scoring. But he wasn't just a great scorer. He was one of the greatest passers to ever play the game and a very cerebral player. Don't forget, he's also considered the pioneer of the point forward position. He was the most valuable player of the 1975 NBA Finals, leading his underdog Warriors to their first West Coast NBA championship. He's considered one of the four greatest to play his position, along with LeBron James, Larry Bird, and Elgin Baylor. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rick. Uh, happy, happy to join you guys. Uh, let's, let's, let's have some fun. So I wanted to ask you about your impressions and thoughts and takeaways from the finals. What can, what can you tell us? Well, the best team won. Pretty simple. <laughs> uh, the Warriors are a better basketball team. I had said before the series started that if, and in an ideal world, both teams played their best game simultaneously, that the Warriors would win. The Warriors just have a better basketball team. They're more firepower. They're somewhat more dangerous as far as creating opportunities to score, whereas Cleveland is so much is predicated on their one-on-one play of LeBron and Kyrie, whereas the world, even though they have guys that can do it one-on-one, like Clay and obviously obviously KD, uh, they don't rely on that as much, and they run plays, and they, I think the epitome of the game came about in game number, uh, I guess it was game number five, when Cleveland did a great job of coming back after an eight-point lead and being down 17, and they fought back in the second half. But if you remember, the Warriors got two easy inside dunk baskets because why? Because they run plays and force the defense to make decisions. And two times, the Cleveland Cavaliers made mistakes, and two guys jumped out on the guy coming off the screen. The other guy slipped inside, and they got easy baskets. That's what happens when you run a really good offense and force the defense to make decisions. And the Warriors do that far more than the Cleveland Cavaliers. Do you have any confidence or optimism that other teams will build in a way uh, by sort of copying kind of the um, Warriors model? 
Well, the problem is is that they can copy as far as trying to play that kind of basketball, which is basically basic basketball, just playing the game the way it was designed to be played. That's why I love watching them play. And, uh, you know, in fact, my, my youngest son, Ken, I just dropped him at the airport to go off and work out with the Warriors, although they don't have a draft pick and all. But I just, wow, he would be such a perfect player for the Warriors because he's so smart and knows how to play the game. And people have no idea what his potential is because he has never been given the opportunity to show all the things he can do. And if you didn't know, Cannonberry also shoots underhanded free throws. He was also the high school Victorian. He won state championships in tennis, track, and badminton, played college basketball with the Charleston Krugers and Florida Gators while pursuing his master's degree in nuclear engineering. He's also playing for the Knicks Summer League team this year. Um, it's kind of a hidden gem, so it would be great to see him play for there. But I think the problem that other teams have to copy it is that most teams make the worst decisions in the world when it comes to drafting people is that the coach would never get any input on, on players and personnel. So the general manager do all this stuff, and he drafts all these guys that I call butt-protecting drafts. <laughs> you pick a guy from where he's slotted. You pick a guy slotted between 8 and 11 or something, and he doesn't make it easy. You never put your on the line. Right. So Jerry Beck, a late first round, and maybe he's got the pick, and he take him at 8. Well, now mm-hmm. you put your on the line, because that guy doesn't make it. Now it's your fault. Right. You took the guy that was to go late. You took him early. So many of these guys do the drafting because they take them in the slotted areas where they are because it takes them off the hook. They get so hung up on things that I don't understand. Most of it, they get hung up on the athleticism aspect of a player. Mm-hmm. Like Jerry, like Jerry was in that conversation, we talked to these other players who had a play. And that's exactly what I do. I look for players on my team. I see how to play. They have a great natural feel for the game. But he doesn't have to be a great athlete. In order for that to be able to, uh, you know, work, I mean, and play for the team. You want a guy who knows how to play smart. And the problem is, is most teams make bold decisions. I mean, there will be a whole bunch of guys in this upcoming draft next are going to be guys drafted surely and purely on their incredible athletic ability and not necessarily on their ability to play the game the proper way. How do we get away from the proper way? Basic skills such as dribbling, shooting, passing, setting screens, footwork, communication. I assume that if you're going to get paid millions of dollars to play basketball, you should at least have some of these skills. However, the more I watch the league, I'm starting to realize that if you're not part of a team participating in what Darren Morley calls an arms race, you're a teaching team. Kevin Garnett says it best. Our league now is at a point where you have to teach more than anything. Boom. You may wonder, how did he get this way? Some people have their opinions, such as Garnett. AAU has killed our league. Seriously, I I hate to even say this, but it's real. AAU has killed our league from the perspective that these kids are not being taught anything. They have have intentions and they want things, but the way they see it is not how our league works. You earn everything in this league. You're not not entitled to anything. On top of that, Here's Stan Van Gundy talking about youth basketball in the U.S. today. Quite frankly, you know, if you look around, we're, we're failing pretty badly in this country as a whole in teaching people basketball skills. And you all notice it that watch the NBA because there's a huge difference in just the skill level of the players coming from Europe and what we have here in terms of their ability to pass the ball and shoot the ball 
we can't even produce enough people who can do those things here that we got to go across and try to find people who can do them. We're not developing skills here. One of the reasons is, okay, we are much more interested in playing games and winning and losing at a young, young, young age than we are in skill development. The first thing I would say to you, you have a decision to make. Do you want to help build basketball players or do you want to just tell everybody you won your youth league? So this leads us to asking Rick if he was a GM, what would he look for in a coach? You know, I don't necessarily think you want to have a coach who has his philosophy and the coach the players have to play the game where he wants the game played. I think the coach has to be adaptable, especially on offense. You have to have a coach who's going to utilize the skills and the talent of his players in the best manner possible to get the most out of them. And that's what you have to be willing to do. You can't be so stuck in your own philosophy and fall in love with it that you're going to do it that way. Football, a lot of times, the way with it, the draft system, you get somebody who's going to fit into the system. But in basketball, you don't have as many people. It's not as intricate as that. And so one guy, one guy can change your entire system because of the way that you play the game. And so if you're playing the more conservative style, and you get a guy who can really do some amazing things, you can't play that slowdown style because you're you're hampering his ability to go out and do what he can do. Even pop changed. Mm-hmm. From the time my son Brinson, my son Brinson, oh my God, I'd be loving to play for the Spurs now because he plays so much more wide open and they push it. What about players, Rick? First of all, I'm looking for guys who have the one the one quality you can't teach, which is a natural feel for the game. That's mm-hmm. the first thing I'm looking for. Then I'm going to look for whether or not you know. Hopefully, he's athletic to go with it, which is. If he has that natural feel for the game, he's got my attention. Then I want to find out and watch him carefully to see what kind of a person he is. How does he deal with things? How does he react to his, to his coach when he's taken out of the game? How does he react to his teammates? How does he react when he's on the bench cheering for his teammates? Is he a selfless individual? So I look at a guy, if I was scouting, looking for a guy, I'm looking for guys to get better. The guy that's getting better is the guy you want. That's the guy that's keep, he's improving. He's working at his game, and he's going to keep getting better. When Rick mentions this, my mind lights up because the league has an award for this, the most improved player. However, what are the criteria for the award? Is it new skills, improved numbers, playing time, all above? Ray, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because sometimes players that either contend for that honor or win that honor, it's a function of opportunity. But I think the main point that he was trying to make is he wants a player that is committed and dedicated to get better. And back to your uh, inquiry on that is I, I don't think it's always a function of you look at a player's numbers and you see they're better this year than they were last year. Sometimes that's just a function of opportunity and the situation that they're in. They're not really playing better. Maybe they were always that good. Maybe they just never got a chance to show up because there was somebody better in front of them. But, you know, I think it is really important to have a way to show your dedication and your commitment to improving. And, you know, you're not going to you're not going to get by in the league with rare exceptions and rare instances with the level of game that you come into the league with. You've got to improve if you're going to prosper. And then you try to get, again, people who care more about the team. For a team to be successful, everybody on the team roster at the start of the season, and I've told players this, you need to take the ego and put it in the closet 
for eight months. Because it's no longer about you. It's about the team and what can you do to help them be successful. This reminds me of the last thing of what Rick said in Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History episode, The Big Man Can't Shoot. By the way, if you haven't listened to this, you should check it out. He's got it. He's trying to get up. He shoots. No good. It's almost incomprehensible to me that someone could have that attitude to sacrifice their success over worrying about how somebody feels about you or says about you. That's, that's sad, really. And we'll leave it here. Our thanks to Rick Barry for appearing on our podcast and being willing to share his incredible insights with our audience. So thank you very, very much, Rick. We really, really appreciate it. Okay, I'll take care, guys. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. Just a quick note. Music is from Els Michaels Affair, Moondog, and Caravan. Don't forget to check out our blog, Basketball Intelligence, at basketballintelligence.net. And when you're there, please subscribe to our newsletter. I'm Justin Keonan. I'm Ray LeBeau. This is Basketball Intelligence. Thanks so much for listening.